Good morning, church. How is everyone doing today? All right, you're doing good. Well, welcome to another morning service at El Paso Bible Church. Uh, we do have some announcements that I'd like to mention. Uh, the first one being uh, Vacation Bible School. It's coming up. We have some flyers out in the lobby. And uh, I was told to announce that there is a sign-up sheet for volunteers. So if you feel like helping in that ministry, a uh, very important ministry, uh, go ahead and do so. Uh, sign up and, and talk to, to uh, let's see, Priscilla. Yeah, talk to Priscilla. It doesn't say here, but talk to Priscilla. She'll, I guess she'll get your uh, volunteer card and then she'll contact you. And we are praying and hoping that we... Uh, can have VBS in our new building this year. So um, if you're superstitious like that, cross your fingers. No. Okay. So next Sunday, we have a baptism service, and that's always an exciting thing. It is going to happen during our worship service. Um, and that's the, uh, again, next Sunday, April 2nd. That's the Sunday before Easter. Um, I don't think I have any other announcements other than what's on, on your bulletin. Uh, so go ahead and look at that for further announcements. Uh, today I'm reading the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 29. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Awesome verse. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you this morning for your love and your grace and just this awesome opportunity to come together as your body as a church, and worship you. We ask that uh, we may be encouraged by the teaching of your word, by the, the songs that we sing, by prayer, and that you would be glorified today. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us for a time of worship? And today you guys have a treat. This is our youth band that's going to lead worship for you guys. So I'm sure you enjoy it.
Play louder, Gabriel. You gotta play louder. Forgiveness. 
turn that on. Good morning again. Uh, what Jacob didn't tell you is that when I hired him, he was only about two years older than these guys. He didn't say, so we have a long history of, uh, of youth ministry serving in big church, so we're happy about that. Didn't they do a great job? Yeah, that was fabulous. Um, so that's great. Good job, guys. Thank you for doing that. Um, that was actually a surprise to me. I didn't know that they were doing it, so that's great. Um, I'm happy to have surprises, certain surprises. Um, that's great. Oh, well, welcome again, children. Uh, I think we have children's church today, so you guys can go uh, to your children's church. Are the doors locked? They're done. Okay, all right. We try not to lock our children's church teachers out of the children's church rooms, but it could happen accidentally. Uh, this morning, we need to need to pray for a couple of things together. Uh, we don't always do that. It's not a particular prescription that we follow, uh, but currently we do need to do that. Um, this morning, is it Jack, Becky, your brother? So you don't hear about too many people in their 80s having motorcycle accidents. Um, but Becky's brother, Jack, unsurprisingly was riding a motorcycle and had an accident. He's been adventurous his whole life, I think, right? Um, and he is uh, having some bleeding in his brain. He's in the ER right now. Is that how I understood that? Yeah, so we need to pray for him. Um, I was five years old when I had that condition, getting struck by a vehicle, and I think a five-year-old recovers faster. Um, so I'm standing here before you today, though, telling you how serious it is, if you didn't already know. Um, so we're going to pray for that, and we're going to also pray for our elder, Steve Myers, as he's seeking additional treatment um, and avenues for that, trying to get that orchestrated for his cancer diagnosis, as well as some other things that we are aware of, right? So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. 
We thank you right now, this uh, very moment, that Jack is your child and that your life is entirely in his hands, uh, in your hands, excuse me. And, and Father, we do pray for successful surgery. Uh, we pray that uh, the bleeding is alleviated and there are no ill effects from it as that's taking place uh, perhaps as we speak. And uh, Father, we know that uh, he is yours and, and uh, you love him and have good in store for him, ultimately, that that is your will. And Father, we thank you for that. Uh, Father, we do pray for Steve. Right now we pray um, as much uh, for smoothing out obstacles to treatment as much as the treatment itself, which is where, where that situation is at currently, uh, that all the details would be worked out, uh, that he would be able to pursue this treatment plan and Father, further, that it would be successful and that he would be restored to health. Uh, Father, we, we thank you again that he belongs to you and he, you have good things for him, as we're going to look at in First Peter, simply by grace through faith, that he has life in your Son. And Father, we thank you for the testimony that we have, that we are not devoid as a local body of tremendous testimonies, tremendous testimonies among our own local church leadership of of suffering faithfully, and we thank you for that. And Father, we ask that through it we would be strengthened uh, in our own lives and prepared for those things to come. And Father, we thank you. We pray that you bless your, our time in your word today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning we're continuing in, uh, in First Peter, uh, which uh, we started last week. And I want to encourage you, uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, to go ahead and catch up. We have those recordings, we have that video, and so uh, some fairly important distinctions that we make in the very first part of First Peter that are going to direct our path uh, through the book, and that's how we, how we work here. Sometimes, you know, uh, it's hard for people to catch up, but right now you can do that in about 40 minutes. So can you catch up in 40 minutes? If you wait several weeks, it's going to be like four hours, and I'm going to tell you that, and you're going to tell me to go jump in a lake. All right? So that's okay. But 40 minutes you can do, right? You could even do 10 minutes a day for four days. You can even take Monday off, right? Um, and you'll be caught up by the next weekend. So that's important. So go do that. Uh, but we are going to review. That's our habit, because this is given as a unit. We don't make our, our practice is not to jump around and try to construct meanings. We trust the Holy Spirit's inspiration of this text through the writers who gave it and wrote it down for us to give us the message in a unit that he, he has provided for us. And so we do that. Uh, and so one of the big questions that comes up when you're in the first part of First Peter is really who is it addressed to? And he uses a lot of phrases, a little terminology that is unique, really. Uh, Paul generally addresses his epistles, and that's the most common way, simply to the saints, the holy ones. Uh, here, Peter talks to them, and he uses them, uses some vocabulary that in our culture might be a little offensive. He says to them, to you who are aliens, who reside as aliens, let's go out on the street corner in El Paso and say, hey, aliens, what's up? You're liable to catch some bottles or some rocks right in your face. I wouldn't encourage you to do that. But you understand that alien is not a pejorative term. It's a legal classification, right? 
It means stranger. It means someone who is not imbued or endowed with the rights of a citizen in the place where he resides. Sometimes the Bible refers to them as sojourners, right? Abraham sojourned in the land, right? Before in the fourth generation from his lifetime, they would come in to possess it. He lived as a stranger and an alien in his own land because at that time he did not have citizenship rights there. So it's not a negative thing. The Bible generally does not refer to Abraham in a negative light, right? Uh, He is the archetype of faith that is to carry through the entire scriptures, even into our own New Testament. But we are aliens as well. They were double aliens. They had been physically dispersed into land that was not theirs. They were aliens by virtue of being children of God whose citizenship is in heaven with God. That was their, the title deed to their inheritance resided there. It was reserved for them ready. So you need to understand that. Peter's audience did not derive their identity from who they were friends with. They did not derive their identity from who they hated, what we might call tribalism, right? If I'm in your tribe, then I'm obligated to hate the people you hate, whether whether they're worthy of it or not, right? We see that a lot. Um, The tribalism wasn't an aspect. It was their identity in Christ. That is what made them aliens. But our identity is derived from that fact. It's a matter of being born again, which God caused, Peter says, by virtue of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And he says of those aliens that they are choice. Remember, we talked about the difference between selection and the assignment of value in, in 1 Peter 2.4, this same term is used of Jesus Christ himself, and we point it out because we're masterful theologians, right? That when referencing Christ as being eclectos, it cannot be. It cannot be selection, right? And it can't be one out of many or a few out of many because he is the monogenes. He's the only begotten. He is the only one that could do what he did, and yet God says he is choice. And we are in him who is choice. I think that's the most normal way that Peter is using that term. In fact, I think that's the most normal way to use that term throughout Scripture. Is that somebody's choice, valuable, because of the place that they occupy in God's plan It's about value in God's eyes like it was for his own son who came and and kenosed himself, emptied himself of all of his prerogative and his privilege in order to accomplish his work. He is choice because of that. And we are choice here in little old El Paso, right? Forgotten by all of Texas, virtually, Yes? You ever been to anywhere in Texas? El Paso for them is really bad salsa and stale chips. Old El Paso brand, which oddly enough, I believe, is made in San Antonio, which is their excuse for being bad, I guess. Right? But you have an understanding of what it means to be here. You are not here by accident. You are not here in a valueless position. You are here because God values your presence here. You are choice in the work that He has given you to do, that He's given me to do, 
You're not supposed to doubt that. He addresses this. Though you are aliens, though it increasingly feels like an element of friction to continue to reside in this world, right? Anybody else? You feel that? You feel that? It's not just you getting grumpy, guys. It's actually real. (laughs) That's actually happening. Things are circling the bowl a little bit tighter and tighter and tighter by definition. Am I allowed to say that? Redneck, not quite euphemism, is it? That's not just because you're getting grumpy and old, though I'm getting grumpy and old, I guess. But there's real friction. It's real, aliens, but you are choice. In other words, being an alien is something to celebrate. Something to celebrate. The friction is something to celebrate. The longing is something to celebrate. The recognition that we have a valuable role to play in this world right here, right now, this morning, is something to celebrate. Because this is God's gift to us. Peter told us there was a purpose in that. Your purpose is to obey Jesus. This is still review here, that we, we obey him and we receive a reward in the future for that obedience. It's, it's future, right? He says you receive it in the future, but it's already ready. It's not like we're just waiting for God to get done. Yeah? It was Denise's sixth year anniversary as secretary of El Paso Bible Church this last week. We're very thankful for her. And one of the things that we try to do for our, our staff here at El Paso Bible, we take them to lunch wherever, wherever they want to go. We went to Coralito over here, Jacob and I and Denise. They had uh, two people serving that day. And about, what was it, about 12 tables full of people? Can you imagine at a steakhouse, two people trying to serve 12 tables? You figured you were never going to get your food. If that was reflected in the kitchen, they probably had half a person cooking the steaks. Like, I mean, that ratio is terrible. And so you're just sitting there wondering where the food is, but you knew if you didn't have it, it's because it wasn't ready. That is not what God has in your design, guys. He, it is ready. He's done. He's not racing the clock. He is not caught off guard. He has it ready, and it's reserved for us so we can really actually look forward to it in the days to come, in the last days something to celebrate because it's perfect already it's ready it's perfect it's imperishable it's unadulterated it's pure and we are simply waiting until we are ready to receive it when john would say in first john when we see him as he truly is when we will be like him because right now guys You're not ready to inherit something imperishable, are you? No? You can even buy green bananas, right? Some of you, right? You can buy green bananas and expect to see them. They're going to perish on you. Everything you buy, everything you look at. In fact, Peter, (laughs) throughout the Bible, we talked about this. He he compares our inheritance positively with gold. And he says here, in the verses we're going to look at today, it's not like gold. Gold perishes. It does? Not in your world, but in God's economy it does. Gold rusts away, but your inheritance is imperishable. 
That's all good stuff, isn't it? I'll wait. That's all good stuff, right, El Paso Bible Church? Thank you. The people in the video think I'm talking to an empty room then. If y'all don't answer some of these questions, they're going to, I mean, they already think I'm nuts, believe me. But if I'm talking to an empty room like this, they don't realize I got eyeballs and suitcase in front of me, lives, people, warm, at least warm bodies, you know? That's good. All good stuff. The fact that we are choice aliens, we have an inheritance that is already ready and waiting for us. It's already complete. It's just waiting for us to put on the imperishable and the unadulterated and the pure and the glorious. Verse 6 continues that conversation. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. Now that's not an imperative. He does not say, as Paul says and others say somewhere else, rejoice today, rejoice now, rejoice always. But there is, right, there is an implicit kind of exhortation, right? See, there are times where I tell my sons, almost never my daughter, because my daughter commits almost no infractions. (laughs) Mostly my sons, because I got five of them. I only have one little girl. So I'm normally talking to my sons. Sometimes I will say, cut that out, you little sinner. Or start doing this, you little sinner. And I think there's a place for that. But many times I don't have to do that. Many times I would say, son, that is not, that's not what we do in our family. This is not the example you've seen. This is not the precedent that was set. Thus you shall stop doing this. That's the implication. That's, I think, what Peter is doing here. It's an indicative. It's not an imperative. He's saying you are going to rejoice in this greatly, right? Yeah? Yes, we're going to rejoice because that's what the Apostle Peter says. We're going to rejoice even though you could take offense to being called an alien, couldn't you? What do you mean an alien? I've lived in Texas my whole life. I vote here. I work here. I live here. My children live here, most of them. You could take offense. You could use it as an excuse not to rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice. Exhortation. Now this is a long sentence. It's not quite Pauline long, but it's long. So what we're going to do here, a little bit different than what we do is we're going to to first cover the movement points, okay? This is where if you were in a, in a class, they would say, here, diagram the sentence. And I was like, no, 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 don't tell me to do that. Don't tell me to diagram the sentences. I, I first studied Greek in like 1993. I was in uh, high school. It was from lack of options. Our little Christian school only had a Greek teacher, so we didn't learn Spanish. We didn't learn French. We didn't learn anything else. We learned Koine Greek. It served me well, but at the time, there were a lot of people going, what? But even after all of those years studying Greek, I still hate diagramming sentences. And part of the reason I hate diagramming sentences is because once you parse the verbs, you know what they do. Like, you really don't need English. You've got to. I, I even hate worse diagramming sentences in English because English is stupid. Let's be honest. English is stupid. Greek is not stupid. Um, but if you were to diagram it, you would find these clauses, the main movements in this very long sentence that really seems quite long in English. You'd be marked off for this in your English class. That is if they still mark off people in English class. 
my son graduated from UTEP with an English degree, and he says they no longer mark anything off in English class. Just goes. Whatever you write. It's fine. It's cool. It's not cool. We need to know what it says. But let's look. We rejoice greatly. That's the first one. That's the mild exhortation. Verse 7, that gives us kind of the statement of intent, right? This is what Peter wants us to do. And then he gives us the purpose in verse 7. Verse 7, he says, so that, in order that, for the purpose that, the proof, the testing of your faith, I like testing better, the testing of your faith may produce a result. And the result is this. And you can, you know what? Underline those things if you do that. If you're using your phone, highlight it, whatever. Because you don't have room to diagram the sentence, do you? Nobody has margins that big. You might just want to underline the movements in the sentence. It's going to result in something. So you're going to rejoice in something. You're going to rejoice because you have a purpose in your life. The purpose is so that the testing of your faith produces something, so that it produces praise and glory and honor when you see Jesus at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so underline, greatly rejoice, so that the proof of your faith, and then the result in praise and glory and honor. That'll be good. Do that. Now he repeats the main idea again in verse 8. You know, you have a long sentence when you have to do that. The main idea is rejoicing. We're going to rejoice in our life, choice aliens. We're going to rejoice. It says, You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Verse 8. He repeats that again. Verse 9 tells us that the reason we do that in, in this aspect is somewhat different. That we obtain as the outcome of faith the rescue of our souls or our lives. We greatly rejoice in that. That's a higher level of rejoicing, by the way. Because it... At this point, there's no contingencies, there's nothing in that statement, right? This is, it's only used in the Bible. This is unique. It's not a hapax legomenon. It's not only used once ever that we can ever find, but the only times that it occurs is in Scripture, which should tell you something about the nature of the Christian's joy, right? That the, the joy that we have is inexpressible, indescribable, and massive compared to anything else that anybody else could rejoice in. So you might want to underline those, those main movements. In this we greatly rejoice, verse 6, so that the testing of our faith and may bring praise, glory, and honor in verse 7, you greatly rejoice in ver- verse 8, that the outcome of faith is the salvation of your lives, verse 9. You don't have to underline it if you're not doing that. Some people, you know, some people in my family really take offense and then my bigger family parent really take offense to you writing anything in your Bible because they, cons- they consider this a kind of a relic, an artifact or something. Don't treat it that way. This is a tool for you to understand what God wants you to know, and, and you should can make some connections there. Um, you can see this is my retired Bible right here. And if you flip through that, that's actually been dumped in a river. Uh, that was the first Bible I bought for myself, and I pulled it out, dried it out, and kept it and used it for 20 more years. 
uh, dropped out in the San Antonio River when I was at Trinity University. And um, still use it, but you can tell I used that for 20 years looking not much different than that. So if you wonder why this Bible is shiny, it's because it's new. My not shiny Bible is right there. We need to underline those things, I think, maybe make some connections there mentally, right? In this we greatly rejoice so that the testing of our faith may bring praise, glory, and honor. In this we rejoice even more because the outcome of our faith is a salvation of our lives. So we put those things together, we get this idea, right? It, there's all sorts of other input into that, other modifiers in there. But if we put it all together, we get the idea that as choice aliens, we are supposed to rejoice in our lives because our faith will be tested, and the testing of our faith brings a reward, and we can rejoice even more that the outcome of our faith is knowable, and that it is the deliverance of our lives, the rescue of our lives. So it's a really long sentence, but that's, that's, if we put together the main movements, that's the idea. Rejoice, because God has given you great things and great opportunities. Now, if we were normal, that would be the whole sermon. Just tell you the big idea. That's the big idea, but we're not normal here. Don't use the word weird when you're talking about Pastor Josh. You know that that offends me. You can misgender me if you want, I guess. But don't call me weird. I'm just non-standard. We're supposed to rejoice. We're supposed to rejoice. Now, what are the modifiers? In this, you greatly rejoice, aliens. Right, that kind of implies that your, your experience is not going to be totally smooth. You're an alien in the place that you live. These guys are double aliens in the place that they live. Some of y'all may feel like that. Some of y'all remember uh, the movie Glory Road? If you're new to El Paso and you haven't watched Glory Road, you ought to watch Glory Road. Uh, recently, was it Willie Kager? Just passed away no, in that movie. And uh, if you remember a scene, right, he, the bus driver and trainer is bringing one guy back on a bus across that long stretch of desert. And he says to the guy, this is God's country. And the guy says, he must not want any neighbors. <laughs> so you may feel, if you haven't been here long, that you are a double alien also. You need to get over that, right? You need to rejoice as to where you are. But it implies something, says there's going to be some difficulty, there's going to be some rough patches, right? And that's what he says here. In this you greatly rejoice, despite the fact, or even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Everything's a little while for you, by the way. Every distress, every tribulation every trouble. Because, well, I should say this, if you possess eternal life, right? Because you're imperishable. You don't die. Jesus says he'll live even if he does die. Everything, not just statistically insignificant, I mean, 
almost nothing compared to eternity. He says, no matter what you're doing, you know, he doesn't give them a list. Well, you can stress out about that, but not this. He says, everything is for a little while. Whatever is distressing you, choice aliens. But you can greatly rejoice anyway. Because it is the trials that do something. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials in order that, here's something you should have underlined if you're doing that. You don't have to. It's not bonded, but it's a good idea. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, there it is. Your gold is perishable. Even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the testing of our faith that provides the opportunity for praise and honor and glory when we stand before Jesus. That is different, folks, than saying your faith does that, isn't it? It is the testing of your faith that produces that reward. It is not a testing as to whether your faith is genuine. It isn't. And you need to understand that Paul This is meritorious, isn't it? (laughs) The testing of your faith has merit because it brings you praise and honor and glory. Your faith is non-meritorious. Paul says that if it is of faith, it is not of works. They are absolutely separate. They exist on different planes. They provide different benefits. They are other But the fact that you're alive by grace through faith, that you possess eternal life, gives you an opportunity that you can have that faith tested, put through its paces. You can grow in your reliance on Christ in your life. That's an opportunity. He does not say that you get that simply by faith. It is the testing of your faith. We just had a baptism class this morning. And uh, I think it was six. We actually have nine or ten that are getting baptized next week. And uh, I always clarify, guys, listen. (laughs) Baptism does not get you to heaven when you die. It doesn't even play a part in getting you to heaven when you die. We are going to baptize you next week but if something terrible were to happen to you today, because, say, I'm accident-prone, right? I could, I could die just stepping off the curb. Happen, I mean, the number of times I have fallen down and didn't think I was going to get back up, I can't even count anymore in my life. This is relevant, right? You've all told me this morning, this happened to be all children, children, that if you die today, you know you would go to heaven when you die, and that isn't changed. Right? That's what faith does. That's what faith provides. It's your identity in Christ. It's perfect eternal life. And Peter talks about that. And he dis- keeps it distinct from this conversation. But the fact that you are here as believers in Jesus Christ is a blessing from God by His grace that allows you to have testing of your faith and allows you to receive praise and honor and glory when you're standing before Jesus Christ, as we all must do, right? Paul says that in 2 Corinthians. 
all believers stand before him to give account for what the deeds in the body, that's your life right now, whether good or bad. Your faith is non-meritorious. The one that gets you to heaven when you die, that thing, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It is self-authenticating. That means it requires no proof outside of itself. You believe, in other words, you believe because you believe. You have faith because you believe. English is terrible. I told you it was stupid. Every other language has a direct etymological connection. The words look the same. They're cognates when you talk about trust, faith, and belief. What do we have? Well, we have trust, faith, and belief. Those words don't look like they're related at all. But it's self-authenticating. So when someone comes to me and they say to me, Pastor, I don't know if I'm going to heaven when I die. So what do you believe? Did you trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life? Because Jesus' word says that. His own personal words are written down. Jesus said, he who believes in me has eternal life. I don't ask them how they're treating their wife. I don't ask them any number of important things. How are you parenting your children? Are you getting off your butt and going to work every day? Are you providing for them? Are you making wise decisions? Are you living a good life? Or are you driving your family under a bridge to live in a truck? All of those things are radically important things for you not to make bad decisions about. But none of them have anything to do with whether you're going to heaven when you die. They may all be tests of your faith and making wise decisions that will result in praise and honor and glory when we stand before Christ. They're radically important. When you believe something, you believe it. And that's how we get the gift of eternal life, simply believing in Jesus for it. The application of this, of our faith in distressing circumstances is the testing of our faith. Please note that he ne Peter never says that the testing of your faith results in eternal life. Does he, not? he doesn't say that, does he? Praise and honor and glory. Those are not synonyms for eternal life. That's a reward. A reward for faithfulness. And when we stand before him, as we all must do, and give account for what we have done as his children, that is going to be that determination. How you responded to the testing of your faith. And he says, you can greatly rejoice in the distressing circumstances because that's the opportunity for a reward from Jesus. Peter says that's a precious thing. A wonderful thing. something to be celebrated. It's something that if you ask your average American believer, they cannot identify in their lives, though. And that's sad. You ask them, when have you suffered for Jesus? They might tell you when their cable accidentally got cut off. Or when they couldn't buy their favorite type of bread at Sam's. I complained about that. <laughs> 
I didn't call it persecution, though. (laughs) It didn't distress me. (laughs) Something to celebrate. Choice aliens. It's a precious thing. It results in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, and though... Here's some modifiers, right? We have the modifiers first. Though you have not seen him, you love him. In other words, they're like us. If you come to me and you say you've seen Jesus, I'm going to ask you if you took your medication. Because Jesus is not walking on this planet. He has feet. And the next time his feet hit this planet, the Mount of Olives will split in half. It will be unmistakable. So don't go around telling me (laughs) that that happened to you. You didn't. It didn't happen. But, so we're with them. Though you've seen him, you can love him. And I want to make a point here because in our world, it seems to me that the world has made a drastic mistake. I've talked to this, with this about a lot, with a lot of people. They, we already know the world doesn't understand what love is, right? We already know that. One of the key, the key problems that I see in the world is that everybody's trying to figure out how they can have intercourse with everything that they love, as if that's part of the intrinsic definition. You notice that? The Bible says you don't even have to see somebody to love them. Not only do you not have to go that far, you don't have to see them. And he said, you choice aliens, you love Jesus, you've never seen him a day in your life. You've not seen him once. These are not among the cohort of people that were still walking on the earth at that time that had seen Jesus in the flesh. These choice aliens. Rejoice greatly, guys. Like them. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him. Do you believe in him today? But you don't see him now. You're with them. Rejoice. But believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Why? Verse 9. Because participle. It can be a causal purpose statement. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the deliverance of your lives. That's what faith does. Faith by itself grants you that. Praise, honor, and glory. You should greatly rejoice in the opportunity for praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Should you refuse to see that for what it is, believers, the outcome of your faith is still the deliverance of your lives, of your souls, your suke, kind of your person. That's the idea. Our faith alone has this product. Do you not see the connection? The testing of your faith provides the opportunity for the reward, the praise, honor, and glory. Never commingled with what faith alone does. Never. 
We have a saying here at El Paso Bible Church, contra the bumper stickers and all the other garbage floating around saying otherwise, that faith alone is always alone. Faith alone is always alone. If it's not alone, it's not alone. That's just, that should not blow your mind, folks. It's nonsensical to say that it's alone and not alone. Foolishness. Faith alone is always alone or it's not faith alone. That doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. I would fail at so many industries. Just can't make bumper stickers worth a lick. Faith does this. Peter already told us last week the salvation that he's talking about. He's talking about the salvation in the last days, right? In the coming days, when you will receive the imperishable inheritance, the one that won't fade away, that's reserved, that that salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. And we talked about the tenses of our salvation. If you believed in Jesus or you believe in Jesus currently right now, you possess eternal life. You are saved, justification. You are being saved from the power of sin and its bondage in your life today by virtue of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life progressively into the future. But Peter is talking about the third category, which is glorification, in which we are like Christ. And we will receive the fullness of an imperishable salvation because then we'll be able to take it. You can only be a temporary steward of something imperishable in your life right now, right? Yes? <laughs> if I hand you something imperishable and you stick it in your pocket, you're still going to die. You have to be made imperishable before you can take that inheritance on. And that's what he's talking about. Faith alone gives you that. Now you would think, Pastor Josh, why are you harping on that so much? Well, I wouldn't have to if there weren't a bunch of dadgum heretics writing all sorts of books saying otherwise. Lots and lots of books out there. I have some of them on my shelf. That's why I say don't, don't come into my office and look at the books on my shelf and take that as an endorsement. You need to get the endorsements from me. Don't get the endorsements from myself. Because I read a lot of garbage that I would not endorse for everyone else to read necessarily because it's popular garbage. And y'all are going to come in and ask me about it because someone's going to ask you about it. Lots of it out there. But this is very academic-sounding garbage. It's very intellectual-sounding garbage. There are a number of extremely popular authors and teachers that unapologetically, not accidentally, very openly teach that faith alone is insufficient for you to spend eternity in heaven in God's presence. And that's the definition of heaven, by the way, in God's presence, not necessarily the three heavens. Okay, there's different categories, right? That faith alone is insufficient for you to spend eternity in God's presence. A man named N.T. Wright, among them. A man named John Piper teaches this. Openly, unapologetically, you don't have to hide. Like, I'm using their names because they slapped their names on it. And John Piper is crazy, crazy popular. He's a heretic and teaches damnable heresy, no matter what else he teaches. 
because he teaches a final justification by works. Do you understand that I have already been damned to hell by the Roman Catholic Church, by the Council of Trent, for teaching by grace through faith alone, and some dummy who writes a lot of books just walked right back into Roman Catholicism in the Council of Trent, and nobody seems to be calling him on it because he's pastoral? I don't know. He cries a little at every sermon. Do I need to cry a little more, folks? I've told you before that I do my crying in my office. You do this for a living, it breaks you all the time. But I owe it to you to not break here, right? I owe it to you not to obscure my communication by emotional manipulation, especially when we're talking about the core doctrine of Christianity. You might as well be a freaking Buddhist if you abandon by grace through faith alone that grants me eternal life and eternal presence in the presence of my Creator and my Savior by the power of the Holy Spirit. It really doesn't matter what else you believe or teach if you don't believe that. And if you don't teach it, you ought to go read James 3.1 a little more carefully because you're a heretic. And you're a heretic that's put yourself up as a teacher. Jesus doesn't take kindly to that. Another man, Thomas Schreiner, they write lots of books, shamelessly, unapologetically, just hauling everybody, all of their followers, back to the Council of Trent and beyond. So if you bring me something from John Piper, I just want to let you know what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you to put it in the trash. Why am I going to tell you to put it in the trash? Because, folks, First John told us that. How are you supposed to test the teachers that you listen to? Ones that get Jesus' work and person right. The spirits who confess Jesus Christ. If they don't get that right, you chuck everything. You don't spend another day of your life listening to them or placing yourself under their authority. Period. So don't do that. Peter doesn't commingle what faith does and what the testing of your faith does. Nobody else should. I mean, many faithful men were torn apart bodily by animals. Sawn in two, Hebrews tells us. Going about in animal skins, living in caves, burned alive. Some burned alive as birthday candles for the sake of that doctrine. You don't get to just decide because it helps you feel a little better to teach something else. Faith alone gives us the gift of eternal life. It is an absolute guarantee of eternity in God's presence, period, in glory, glorified. Do not commingle its benefits with anything else. You know, friends of mine... I didn't originate this thing, but if it doesn't last forever and, or you can lose it, we need to call it something else. Eternal life, that is. And if it's not a gift but a reward, then we need to change our terminology. Unfortunately, Scripture, unfortunately for people who try to turn it into a reward for your faithful living and your faithful life, they don't get that option either because Scripture only ever calls it a gift. 
and not like a timeshare gift. Do you all remember timeshare gifts? You ever dumb enough to get in the car for nine hours to somebody who's going to give you a free gift? Free, yeah. Only Americans would come up with that one. Robbing anyone of their assurance of having received the simple gift of eternal life. But you can't, you can't rob them of eternal life, right? You can't rob them of that. But Scripture doesn't speak kindly to people who are asinine enough, terrible enough, rebellious enough, and dumb enough to go after God's children and rob them of their joy. And I don't take very kindly to it either. Because God wants you to rejoice in your trials. Rejoice at the opportunity you have as His children for praise, honor, and glory. And He wants you to rest in the perfect, inexorable, absolute income, outcome, excuse me, of your faith. Glory and glorification to save your salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for these tremendous promises that we can greatly rejoice even today and every day in the future to come. No matter the circumstances, if necessary, for a little while, we see it as an opportunity to stand before you and receive praise and honor and glory. We rejoice with words inexpressible, as Peter's told us to do, that the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our lives. Absolutely perfect. We thank you for it and we love you. And it's your son's name we pray. Amen. Church, as we end with the song.